Um, my name is Natalie D. Four. I am the editor in chief of Century View. Um, I'm here with Hillary Fenton. She was published in the last edition of Century View. Uh, Century View is a publication run by undergraduate students. We accept poetry, short stories, um, one-act plays, and artwork, and we submit every semester. Um, so, and um, Hillary's going to just read. Um, from her story that she published last semester. Okay, um, her name was Lola. I spent the first year of my life on a cactus farm in New Mexico. My days were spent lounging among dozens of uniform rows of cacti. Nights were much the same. There were six rows to every section, each marked off by a dirt walkway, and the entire farm stretched in every direction as far as I could see. The cacti were beautiful, each one squat and round with pale green skin and clusters of needles that glistened dangerously in the sunlight. They varied in size, the largest ones growing to be a foot across. The ones gathered around me were small, only an inch or two wide, and just as tall. Gazing at them was the only way that I knew what I looked like. I'd been with these, my cacti brethren, from my very first moment. I had looked upon a world that sizzled under the flaring sun and found myself surrounded by an army of little green soldiers. I liked to think I was a bit tall for my age, like the cactus that sat to my left, and with long red needles that curved flawlessly like the one just behind me. Sometimes I worried that I was deformed, like the cactus two rows over with crusty white skin, one of the few surviving victims of a mealybug epidemic that happened the previous summer. I wasn't sure what I looked like, but since I hadn't had any run-ins with mealybugs, I was pretty certain I didn't look like that. That first year on the farm, there wasn't much for me to do besides grow old and listen. I sat in the sun day after day, getting water occasionally from the work hands who wandered through the field and watching everything. It is through my caretakers that I learned of the world beyond my patch of dirt, the world of humans. It's surprising the number of things you can learn just by listening. The work hands loved to talk, and watching and listening to them built my vocabulary quickly and kept the days from being too dull. Most of the time, though, we infant cacti were left alone. For a while, I watched as the larger cacti from across the field were constantly being dug up and replanted in big plastic pots before being carted off to some unknown location. This I witnessed with quite a bit of envy, for eventually, my daily routine became monotonous enough that I itched to go with them, to see something new. Soon my wish would be realized. That coming Tuesday they were going to be harvesting cacti from my section to be sold at some farmer's market in a nearby town. I knew that from overhearing the work hands. Like I said, people like to talk a lot. When the day came, I tried to look my greenest and my tallest so that I would be one of the chosen. Two men in clothes blackened with clumps of dirt came with shovels, potting soil, the little black pots, and a big plastic flat. Fifty of us would be unplanted and sent off to the farmer's market. As I had hoped, I was one of them. When it was my turn to be dug up, I could feel myself quivering in excitement, but the worker didn't seem to notice as he quickly but carefully dug me out of the only soil I'd ever known. The minute my roots were free from the dirt, I nearly regretted ever having wished this move upon myself. Being out in the open, left exposed to open air, felt unnatural, like I was flying through a ceaseless void, and I would never return to earth. The moment was over quickly, and I found myself tightly secured in new soil, my roots compressed in the confines of the pot, a sweet relief after the unstableness of my miniature voyage. Not long after, the rest of the flat was filled with my counterparts, and we were tossed in the back of a pickup truck and headed off down the road the wind rustling through my needles. As more of the landscape soared past us, I found myself anxious to find out what the next stage of my life had in store. It was early morning still when the truck pulled up to a stop on a curb in front of a plaza near the center of town. 
The driver of the truck quickly passed us off to a street vendor, a small gray-haired woman who thanked him and carried us over to a crowd of brightly colored tents. Entering a tent with purple stripes on the top, she took us by the pot and one by one lined us up on one of the tables between jars of aloe and a crate of butterfly weeds. There we stayed, and over the course of a week, I watched as most of us were sold. I stayed behind, until one day, my salvation arrived. It came in the form of a woman, tall, blonde, and tan, who sauntered up to the table with a determined set to her jaw. The vendor eyed her immediately and scurried over so that they were facing each other across the table, we remaining cacti between them. The blonde woman surveyed us for a moment, and the vendor, noticing, scooped me up and held me high for her potential buyer to see. I was elated and turned to the younger woman, hopefully. Care for a cactus? They look great in any home. The vendor, even at close quarters, still shouted each word. Aren't those easy to kill? Like, if you water them too much? The woman asked. Overwater it? Don't water it? Doesn't matter. This guy can live through anything. It's the perfect plant, indoor, outdoor, anywhere. I'll take it, the young woman said, still smiling. I could feel elation rise up within me and shoot down my needles. It's a gift for my, for my mother. She loves to garden. I'm sure she'd love to look after it. So it was, with a shake of hands and an exchange of bills, that I was plunged into the darkness of a paper bag. When the light finally returned, it brought with it a face. I gazed upwards from the bottom of the bag to see a woman peering down at me. It was an older face, her eyes small and bright in the sun-worn face, framed by blonde hair that shone in the sun. I was still in the middle of examining her when the face was replaced by a hand and I was brought back into the world of light. Her name was Linda. Her daughter, Sally, was visiting from school far away and had brought me as a gift for her mother. I learned a lot about Sally and Linda during her, their visit together. I'd been placed carefully onto the coffee table soon after arriving, but had quickly been ignored as the two women conversed. Linda loved to garden, but she loved Sally more. Sally was going to school to be a nurse, and while Linda was proud of her, she wished every day that she would visit home more. Sally was sorry, but school was very busy and she was having a hard time working her life out right now, so it was difficult for her to make the trip that often. Linda didn't really believe this. After Sally left, Linda took me into the kitchen. She showed me the white tiled floor and the light green cupboards that lined the walls, the fridge in the corner, the wooden table in the center with three chairs, the empty hole where the dishwasher went before it broke, until finally she took me to the sink and let my, set my, me on the ledge above it just below the window. Well, here's your new home, Linda told me as she settled me in between two different kinds of hand soap. You're lucky. You get the best view in the whole house. She gestured toward the window, but when I looked out, all I could see was a screen of darkness. It had grown very late during her visit with Sally, and there was nothing to see in the still of night. Well, she allowed. During the day, I mean. Linda paused, her face thoughtful as she continued to stare outside and wondered what she was thinking. Finally, she spoke again, still not looking at me. I want to tell you a secret, little cactus, little Linda muttered, her voice barely reaching me. Did you see that patch of grass in the front yard on her your way in? The one with the bench and that blue mist? I had no way of telling her that I hadn't seen anything except the inside of a paper bag. Regardless, Linda didn't wait for an answer. I'm going to finish that garden one day, and once you're ready, I'm going to plant you out there in it right in the middle so you can have a good view of everything. It's going to be the greatest garden in all of New Mexico. The way she said it, so full of confidence, made me believe her. It also made me want to be a part of it one day. I lived on Linda's windowsill for eight years. In that time, we spent every day together, and I learned everything I could about my new friend. Linda was a financial advisor, spending her days helping people who were having a hard time. She loved TV shows about cupcakes, books by Nora Roberts, and drinking wine with her friends from work. I quickly became accustomed to the routine that ruled Linda's life each week until it became familiar in the same way my roots were used to spring spiraling through soil. Every weekday, Linda would come home for a little after, a little after five and make dinner. Three out of the five nights, dinner was always spaghetti. It must have been her favorite food. 
The kitchen would be abuzz with cooking action, and as Linda fluttered about, I would watch with complete interest, soaking everything in. Over dinner, Linda would tell me about everything. She talked about how her customers were doing, about how her co-worker Nancy was throwing a baby shower for her daughter that weekend, how happy she was that Sally called to talk yesterday, just like she said she, said she would, how she ordered three new Nora Roberts books from some place called Amazon, and they should be arriving next week, how she was going to pick up more seeds and fertilizer for the garden on her way home from work today, tomorrow. It was in this way I learned that Sally was her only child, and that she had divorced her husband when Sally was in elementary school. She didn't tell me anything else about her husband. I don't think she liked talking about him very much. Once a week on one of the spaghetti nights, Linda would water me. She always gave me just the right amount to feel satisfied, but not too full, and after I was always content to sit lazily on the sill for the rest of the evening. I was always gentle with Linda while she tended to me. Only twice did my needles jab into her skin. Both times I drew blood, and the sight of it sickened me. I'd spent the rest of those days wallowing in shame over what I had done. On Saturdays, Linda did the cleaning. For the entire week, dirty dishes, laundry, dust, and the like would pile up all over the house until Saturday rolled around, and then Linda would open up the front closet where her cleaning supplies were kept and went off on a cleaning frenzy. Saturdays were my favorite days for this very reason, especially when Linda got to the kitchen. Whenever Linda cleaned, she would blast music all through the house, not just any music, however, but one particular song, her favorite song. His name was Rico. He wore a diamond, Linda sang as she finished the dishes and left the room to get the mop in from the closet. She sang loudly and she had more enthusiasm than she did talent, but I loved it all the same. At the Copa, Copa Cavana, the hottest spot north of Havana. Linda returned to the kitchen mop in hand and started mopping, although I think she did more dancing than anything. I love you, Barry, Linda cried, spinning in circles across the kitchen, moving so fast she nearly slipped on the freshly mopped floor. Barry. That must be the name of her husband, whoever he was. She always professed her love for him when she played this song, so it must have reminded her of him. I wasn't quite sure how. When she was done cleaning, Linda would go outside to work on her garden. I would watch her through the window as she crawled around on her knees, digging up weeds, planting new flowers and shrubs, and watering the old ones. She worked from the bench outwards in a spiral sort of pattern so that the bench was the center of the garden and everything else stemmed off of it. Once she was done with her work for that day, she would come inside to get a drink and to tell me all about it. She spoke quickly with short breaths, and more than often than not, she was, had a hard time getting the words out because she was so excited. Very soon, the garden was a jungle of blue mist, African marigolds, aster, bear grass, butterfly weed, and more. If it wasn't in her garden, it was a guarantee that Linda had plans for it to be added soon. It made me happy to see her plans slowly coming together. Also in that time, I changed. For each year that passed, I grew taller and wider, so much so that Linda had to transfer me to a new pot, and at the end of eight years, I was in one that was so large, it nearly wouldn't fit in the windowsill at all. A few years after Sally had bought me, I started growing the most beautiful yellow flowers. They were small, with cup-shaped petals that feathered at the edges and smelled vaguely sweet. I adored them from the moment they appeared in the spring to the moment they faded and fell away a few months later. Linda told me that they made me look elegant, so naturally I loved them all the more. Life in that windowsill was perfect. That morning, when I awoke, I didn't understand what had happened at first. I was groggy, confused, and for a moment, I thought it was just bits of a dream still clinging to me as I tried to regain consciousness, which is why, when I stretched my roots out into the soil, I didn't notice at first that there was more room in my pot than there should be, or that it was a blue sky hanging above me instead of the white plaster ceiling of the kitchen. It took me a long moment to realize that I was not in my windowsill between the two different hand soaps and just above the sink in the kitchen. I was on the ground, surrounded by freshly dug soil, tucked just to the side of the bench at the center of Linda's garden. She kept her promise to me, after all. At first I was overwhelmed with the newness of it, the freshness of the air, the wonderful way the breeze brushed through my needles, 
The vastness of the earth where my roots actually had room to stretch, and Linda was right. From here, I did have the best view of the garden, surrounded as I was by the most beautiful blooms, more beautiful than they had appeared from the kitchen window. These things, however, were quickly drowned out by the realization that I would no longer be there for spaghetti dinners or for Saturday house cleanings. I would not be there when Linda came inside from a hard day's work in the garden. She would no longer tell me about the wonders of her day, instead speaking the words to the empty air which did not understand nor care to listen. I was swiftly overtaken by a terrible dread. Only a mere handful of hours had passed, and yet what I felt was quite plain. I missed Linda. A week passed in this way as I rested in a garden that I couldn't care to look at, floundering in a sorrow that I couldn't seem to stop. For the first time in my life, I wasn't looking forward to a new place, but looking back to an old one and longing for it more than anything else in the world. Such was the state I was in when on one bright Saturday afternoon, a strange noise sounded in the garden, a trickling of music coming from a far-off place in the house, words I recognized instantly. Her name was Lola. She was a showgirl. I listened heart-heavy until the door to the house creaked open and I looked up to see a familiar golden-haired figure coming toward me. It was Linda, here to tend to her garden. She checked upon each and every plant, carefully examining them to be sure they were thriving. Then, finally, she stopped to water me just the right, using just the right amount the way she always did. When she was finished, she sat down on the bench beside me. I watched her sit in silence for a few minutes, while happy to just to be near her, and then, to my delight, she opened her mouth and began to speak. Um, so, Hillary, where, what um, inspire, inspired this story? Um, my roommate and I got cactus, cacti together, and I wanted to write a story about someone that was like obsessed with their cactus and carrying <laughs> it around, and then I kind of changed it into it being from the point of view of the cactus. Oh, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and so what was your writing process for this story? Um, it changes from day to day. To day. Like sometimes I, I would use like a whiteboard and write all my ideas out on it and make like a giant web, and then some days I'd write with sticky notes and like put them all over the place. Okay. So it just depends on what my mood is at the time. Right. I know we always have, like, very different ways of, like, constructing a story. So it's always interesting to hear, like, other people's yeah. processes. Um, how long have you been writing? Um, since, like, seventh grade. Oh, that's cool. What, what um, inspired you to start writing then? Um, we had an assignment in English to write a Halloween story that was supposed to be, like, a page long. And mine ended up being 32 pages. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> ever since then, I decided I kind of, I like writing. Yeah. Kept it up. Very cool. Have you written anything longer than that 32 pages? Um, or? I've worked on more novels and that kind of thing. I think cool. the farthest I've gotten on longer pieces was like 72 pages, and then my computer ate it. Oh, so no. So I kind of focused <laughs> on short stories for a while, but yeah, I like to write longer stuff. Okay, cool. So are you graduating in May, or do you have a few couple more years? Or? I have one more year. Okay. And then do you want to, after you graduate, keep going with writing? Yeah, that's, okay. my, that's my plan A. I yeah. don't really have it all worked out, but something with writing. Okay, cool. And um, what kind of uh, genre would you say that you like the most, and or do you not really use genre? Um... I, right now I'm like, I like to write stuff that's weird, Yeah. like using a cactus as my point of view character and that kind of stuff, so just really anything, just something different. Okay. What's um, your favorite story you've written? Um, probably the first one that I wrote while I was at CMU was about a guy that was obsessed with infomercials. I think it got published. Oh, yeah. Or I mean, I know it did got, get published last 
here in front oh, of yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Tell us a little bit about that story for um, people who don't know. <laughs> oh, it was just about this guy that would buy like every single infomercial product that he saw on TV. <laughs> Cause he was, it was something that he did when he was like with his grandma when he was younger and he was like trying to relive it. So yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. I, I re- think. Yeah. We all really liked it. <laughs> um, and for writers who are just starting out as like, say, freshmen in college or at the beginning, like, what advice would you give them? Um, just to keep writing. I like, I've written a lot of stuff that is terrible and I know that it's (laughs) terrible but I wouldn't improve if I didn't keep writing so yeah that's great advice um and do you uh, look up to certain writers or certain books um Maggie Stiefvater is my favorite author ever and I'm kind of obsessed with her it's creepy (laughs) (laughs) um what has she written um the Scorpio races is my favorite of hers about um water horses it's like a well, not Welsh, some kind of like lore of water horses, and they race them in the book, and it's it's cool. cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Is she um, still alive today? You, yeah. Okay. Very cool. Have you gone to any like her readings or? No, I went to uh, the writing convention in Minnesota, and she was there. Oh, okay. And I got to oh, meet that's her. That's awesome. Then, so that was fun. <laughs> Did she like sign one of your books or? Yeah, <laughs> I kind of like gave her the book and then got nervous and like grabbed it after she signed it and ran away and didn't really <laughs> talk to her or anything she probably gets that a lot <laughs> um and also um, are you in the creative writing department too and, yes. and english major mm-hmm. okay creative writing all the way <laughs> um what's your, been your favorite class here I don't know. <laughs> I like English, so every English class I have taken is yeah. a good one. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, and um, in your experience at Central, what has really helped you develop your writing, I guess? Um, any of the, like, 391 and, like, having to share your stories with mm-hmm. other people. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't like showing my stuff to other people or talking to other people so that helped me to have other opinions okay to know what to fix and that kind of stuff yeah I always find workshops really helpful in that way yeah scary but yeah (laughs) very scary you just have to sit there without having to say anything you know you always want to be like can you talk to me and I want to talk to you but you really have to just like hear what everybody has to say it's like hearing criticism like you know from a publishing company or something you know it's just like very nerve-wracking but always helps um and would you say that um you are more of a fiction writer or do you like to do poetry too or do you what kind of formats do you like I have tried poetry Mm -hmm. but it's just not all of the ones that I did were like the uh, the story style of it. I just oh, like okay. wrote a paragraph and then made it look like a poem. So I'm not right. I'm not that good <laughs> at, it at all. But that's very cool. Um, have you um, thought of any books or like any work that you um, are planning to publish very soon, or have you been published anywhere else besides Century View? Um, no, I w- 
won in a contest when I was in high school. Oh, cool. We had to, like, write stories about the river that our town was on, and then I got won that. But other than that, I haven't been published, but I would like to be. Okay, cool. Working on mainly short stories right now, but... Yeah. Very awesome. Well, thank you for talking with us today. Thank you. Um, and I'll just uh, remind everybody that our deadline is February 29th, and you can submit your work to cmucenturyview at gmail.com.